It's January 25th, 2017. Welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology, science, and, of course, the startup scene. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. We're going to kick off today's show featuring a couple of upcoming events. Hadley Anderson, science educator from the Bishop Museum, will join us to tell us about the upcoming Fall in Love with Science event. Then Brian Dote, the CIO of Mid-Pacific Institute and a good friend of the show, will tell us about the annual Hawaii Association of Independent Schools Science Fair. And then after the break, we'll gear up for the new legislative session with a discussion of local tech policy with Representative Mark Nakashima and Robbie Melton from the High Tech Development Corporation. What initiatives will gain the support of our legislature even in the face of declining state revenue forecasts? Of course, you can join the conversation by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. Well, first up, we want to, what, do we want to talk a little bit about gadgets? Nah, we're gadgeted we're out, gadgeted man. out. Let's I, get I, to the real stars yeah, of the show. We'll get to the real stars. Well, we first want to welcome Hadley Anderson, and she's from the Bishop Museum, and she's here to tell us about something called Fall in Love with Science, which is kind of right around that Valentine's Day time frame. Sure. Anyway, Hadley. Timely. <laughs> Thanks thank for you. having me. <laughs> you know, this is a very romantic show, so, you know. Oh, we, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we love ideas. Love ideas, love technology, love science, right? Absolutely. So that's what we're asking you to do at the Bishop Museum on February 12th is to fall in love with science. It is a unique event uh, call to action to create excitement for a unified day where STEM, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, take front and center at a family-focused interactive event. You might have remembered our former events called Science Alive mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So we're kind of gearing up to start another series of these events. So is is uh, Science Alive evolving into Fall in Love with Science? Yes, I think it's our next kind of initiative. And now, of course, it, since it falls on February 12th, it just happens to be so close to Valentine's sure. Day. Why mm-hmm. don't we get everybody out and interact and fall in love? I just think there's a, 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 a renewed interest to take science more seriously. Well, I hope so. <laughs> right now. In some well, quarters, absolutely Absolutely. Yes. Well, okay, so our Fall in Love with Science is going to celebrate the natural sciences through our Bishop Museum collections. Of course, we've got botany, entomology, mm-hmm. malacology, ichthyology, invertebrate zoology, vertebrate zoology, and archaeology. All of those departments will be out. And we're also sharing it with our local scientific and environmental partners who will be on hand sharing important educational messages with uh you guys and our Keiki. So with all of those topics that you just mentioned, how are you breaking that up across the great lawn or how do you you know how do you get people to perhaps you know take a little bit of each one of those topics? Well, luckily we're going to be having it'll be a time when our traveling exhibit space, Castle Memorial Building will be mm-hmm. dark. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going to have a lot of people in there. We're going to have a lot of people in our science adventure center too. So we're drawing more away from the lawn and um, across the rest of the campus and bringing people into buildings. Now, part of that is that we're in between ex- traveling exhibits, but we do have part of our upcoming exhibit that's going to be there. Uh, she's going to be a bit of the star of the show for what we call biomechanics. Hmm. That's our next exhibit. Her name is Sue, and she's making her debut at Fallen in love with science. She's the world's largest and most complete T-Rex skeleton. So she's going to be there. Um, and as visitors marvel at her life-size replica of her enormous skeleton, the science of biomechanics provides the tools to recreate her living body. So maybe the way she moved and how how intense her bite was as well. Um, and of course, including that with part of our exhibits, we're not only going to have the lar- world's largest T-Rex, but we're also going to have the world's smallest T-Rex from our 
malacology collection that is called uh, Tropodoptra rex. It is uh, one of our small native Hawaiian endemic snails. It is huh. extinct, but it's still part of an extant family that is it's currently undergoing research here in Hawaii. Now, Bishop mm-hmm. Museum has one of the largest collections uh, uh, anywhere in the world for a lot of these um, uh, uh, entities and, and species, et cetera. Um, and certainly not all aspects of the Bishop Museum archive will be avo- open and accessible. But how much of that will be brought out and made uh, viewable to the public? So they are bringing out different collection pieces for sure. Uh, but we're focusing on making it an interactive event so kids can actually experience science and hopefully take something home that they love with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's an experience that they love with them. Not any of the eggs or anything. No, no. <laughs> right, exactly. But we're also going to have a lot of community partners there too. So we're going to have the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. University of Hawaii is going to have a lot of divisions there. The Department of Land and Natural Resources. And we're even having um, a smaller organization called the Hawaii Wildlife Wildlife Center is coming straight from the Big Island to join us on that day. So what would you describe, let's say, DLNR bringing to the Bishop Museum and setting up for people to experience? Um... We've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of different activities that are be going uh, that are going to go on. I'm not really sure. DNL has got a lot of we've got a lot of different facets of DNL. Yeah, coming. they might bring trail safety information. <laughs> right. They might bring some, many things. But we're hoping that it's going to be interactive. Uh, we also we're going to uh, some of the things I know it's going to happen. We're going to dig for some archaeological facts, uh, artifacts. We're going to see the evolution of some fish species. Uh, we're going to there's going to be an infrared station with uh, University of Hawaii's geophysics and geology department. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of really great... I would expect the uh, Institute for Astronomy folks to bring one of their solar telescopes. They always bring one of those. How did you know? They're definitely <laughs> going to be there on the lawn. They're some of our favorite partners. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. We're also going to continue with our daily program. We're still going to have our lava shows. We're going to have a specialized planetarium program that's going to run every 30 minutes. Of course, we're going to have Ono food trucks. We're going to have some story time for little kids, too. Um so there's a lot going on that day. It does sound like it, as you mentioned, STEM. It's for education. It's for the next generation and appreciation of science. Is there an ideal age range you're looking for? School groups, for example? How is that all um, coming together? We're looking for it's a family focused event, so okay. families of all ages. We're gonna we're gonna have a scientist actually talking from NOAA. They're gonna be presenting on our science on a sphere. We're gonna have more interactive face to face with our researchers and other scientists too. We're also going to be having a screening of the Sea of Sea of Hope documentary film um, throughout the day. This is um, uh, Bishop Museum researcher Dr. Richard Pyle uh, is ah, featured yes. in a new National Geographic mm-hmm, documentary. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be showing a shortened version of that. It's going to be about 45 minutes. Uh, the film follows legendary ocean explorer Dr. Sylvia Earle and the National Geographic photographer Brian Scarry with a team of young aquanauts to uh, document the importance of the marine protected areas, including the recent Papahanao Mokuakea Marine National Monument. Now, the importance of this is that also um, one of the aquanauts is Dr. Richard Pyle's son, Owen. Oh. And so this is establishing four generations that have visited Papahanaumokuakea on research missions. And, of course, Dr. Pyle has, has been with us for a number of decades. Mm-hmm. And as were his parents, um, Dr. – let me see. <laughs> his parents were uh, – We've actually had Richard Pyle on the show. We're big fans of his. Absolutely a great storyteller and certainly worthwhile of a National Geographic special. 
for sure. So it's going to be really great to see that. He's going to, of course, be on hand to answer questions. So if you want to talk to Dr. Richard Pyle face-to-face, he's going to be floating around doing a lot of presentations, too. <laughs> and as you mentioned, it's between these travel exhibits so people can get a preview of your, the, I would imagine in the future, Sue, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, will have a lot of other things that come with her. Yes, But you can absolutely. see her first, even though she's kind of the star of the show. Right, exactly. Biomechanics includes a lot of all the innovative evolution and ingenuity that comes in nature, and then also how it kind of has influenced uh, man's ingenuity as well. So there's going to be things about uh, how a giraffe's heart pumps blood all the way to its brain and things like that, and um, it's going to be a really great experience. Well, an interesting area of science is biomimicry, right, which is yes. what nature has already figured out. Why can't we model some of our technology and take advantage of that innovation? Yeah, Velcro was a perfect example of that, using using burrs mm-hmm, off of seeds mm-hmm. to create uh, sticky fabric. <laughs> now, the uh, you said science alive and and this uh, this particular event uh, fall in love with science is this something that is an annual event or are you planning to have sort of multiple science you know science alive type events across the year 2017 so we're hoping that this does become an annual event and I can tell you that personally I have a lot of really big plans for this event okay. and hopefully expand it out but we'll we'll see how it goes we're always looking for sponsors um, <laughs> but as in this case uh, for Bishop Museum uh, the sci- uh this Fall in Love with Science Day is going to be a $5 admission day for local residents and for Kamai, you know, Kamai and military. Um, and the event's going to run from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Of course, the museum is open up until 5 p.m. So you're welcome to come for the event and then stay for all the other exhibits as So well. that's Sunday, February 12th. Where can people go to find more information? You can go to our website, bishopmuseum.org slash science. And, uh, of course, we're going to be asking people to keep the love alive after the event. You can, of course, go to our Bishop Museum website to see that or go to our Facebook and watch our Science Never Sleeps every single Friday, which I'm the host of. And um, you can always make a gift or become a member. Sounds very good. Well, thanks, Adley, for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. And, of course, next up, we want to welcome our friend who has been on the show several times and, of course, uh, He's Brian Dote. He's the Chief Innovation Officer over at Mid-Pacific Institute, and he's here to tell us about the science fair and all the things that go on to prepare for the science fair. Thank welcome. you for having me. Yeah, welcome, Brian. So the uh, after you fall in love with science on the 12th, a couple of days later, on the 18th, we have our annual HAIS District Science Fair, and um, it's happening this year at the Hawaii Baptist Academy, the high school, which is uh, further up the hill. And we are looking for judges. We, we need judges to help. As you know, science fairs are volunteer-driven, and we need people in the field, people in all the subjects that you just mentioned. So, um, you know, from, from ichthyology to biomechanics to biochemistry to animal science, we need experts in the field uh, that can volunteer to judge these projects um, from 7 till 11.30 on the 18th. So the HAIS Science Fair, does that sort of feed into the state, the larger state science fair? Yep. So the challenge, the fun part of being a judge at the science fair at the district level is to figure out which projects will then move on to the state science fair. Mm -hmm. And the state science fair is happening in May, and that one is is extremely large. I think just under 6,000 participants, um, over 100 schools compete at that level. And how many compete at the HAIS? Level? I haven't seen the final registration numbers, so I'm not sure how many projects we're having this year. But it's all of the Hawaii independent schools that have promoted projects from their school fairs uh, to go on to the district level. And as a as a judge, what what would it be 
required of the judge okay. to actually determine which ones, which projects actually rise to the top. So it starts off with a passion for science. I think if you are passionate and want to engage with students in science and want to inspire the next generation of student scientists, I think that's the first requirement um, because a lot of it is going to each project and talking to these students and hearing what they've done and giving them insight into how or what they could do differently or figuring out you know, what they discovered and the path that they took to that discovery. Um, in addition, for the senior level, which is the high school level, if you are judging at the senior level, a master's or a PhD is required for the subjects that you would be judging for. Mm-hmm. So if you were in cellular or molecular biology, you would need a, a upper level degree to mm. be a judge in that category. But at the junior level, which is sixth to eighth grade, you know, a degree is not required. Mm-hmm. I know Bert and I have had an opportunity to be judges for various uh, Great events. I'm glad that there's these qualifications that you're setting because when they were for those events that allowed us, clearly they had no standards <laughs> for people to participate. Well, let, as let a me judge. let me pre-qualify or qualify that. <clears throat> there are different levels of judges, yes. and the judging pool that we were in were, was called celebrity judges. Oh, that's also and, a very and, low bar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as a celebrity judge, you have to have no bar at all. Right. But you have to be a celebrity. Oh, no. no. Well, no, no, well no. that's a very loose description. Was, I would say that would be true. Now, so Brian, just to, to tell me understand, so this is for the Hawaii Association of Independent Schools. Those are the independent schools, but you're calling it a district science fair. So does that mean that from here, the HAIS schools operate as a district as part of a larger statewide? Correct. So, oh, okay. Um, like we have the Central District or the other Honolulu District Science Fairs, the, the five projects that move on or the, the projects that move on from this fair uh, get entered into states. Mm-hmm. The, the Hawaii State uh, Science and Engineering Fair. HSS, okay. Yeah, HSSEF. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. And then do the, uh, do the judges sort of carry over to, are they, are they sort of, you know? Nope. Um, we need judges for that fair as well. So if oh, you're okay. interested and if there's a celebrity judge category, I'll be sure to, to ask you guys. <laughs> um, but we need judges for both fairs or all fairs, really. And uh-huh. I think it's a great opportunity to engage with the community and engage with student scientists if you're even remotely in any of these fields. I have the fields listed. I think you can put it in the show notes. Um, it's a pretty widespread array of different types of science. And if you are even interested in meeting students and seeing what they're doing, I think uh, judging at either the school level, the district level, or the state level is a great opportunity. Now, I would um, I would agree with you that some of the projects that these students are actually presenting you have to have a high degree of understanding for the topic because when I went to the science <laughs> fair and I tried to look at some of, I mean, even like the, the, the math, some of them concentrate on, let's say, I guess solving a, a math problem. I mean, they were very complex. Yeah, some of them are extremely complex. And I, I remember judging at certain science fairs where I had to <clears throat> use Google. <laughs> and uh, I, I wasn't sure some of the terminology. I wasn't sure some of the things the student was researching or learning. And I, I had to use the Internet because mm-hmm. these were topics that were either very esoteric or very advanced. And um, I, just had, I just didn't have the expertise in that area to be able to have a conversation with a student. And so as I walked past the display boards, I did some research before the students arrived. And I had to turn to Google. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so I can see certainly the importance for qualified judges, and we're glad that the call is out there. But can you tell us about the event itself, and is there a way for other people to participate, even if they might not necessarily be intellectually qualified, to understand what they're seeing? So right now, um, all the schools that are participating in the fair are offering volunteers, uh, non 
judging volunteers. But I invite the public to come and view these projects and talk yeah. to these students and see see the amazing science that's happening at the high school and the junior schools. And so the projects are open for public viewing from 2 to 3 on that Saturday, mm-hmm. which again is Saturday, February 18th. And so come on down, take a look, see what's going on. Um, I'm sure you'll be impressed by what the students are doing. Now, Brian, what r- role are you playing? I mean, you have taken a leadership role in trying to organize. So this the year, teachers. yeah. So this year, I'm the judge coordinator, and so my role is to get all the judges that we need together, and then I need to sort them out and put them into clusters, put them into categories, um, select the head judges for those categories, make sure everyone knows what time to show up and um, the judging rubrics and having all of that ready. So I'm sort of the organizer for the judging side. Now, don't you have some you know, secret list of Hawaii's intelligentsia that you can just sort of pick from? Or do you have to make the call out every, every year that the uh, we, science fair? We have an existing list that we use, and then every year we continue to grow that list. And mm-hmm. so um, through the community, through folks like you guys, you know, we continue to sort of reach out into different areas because um, people come here all the time and there might be new judges or people that are now interested or have learned a certain subject or gained expertise in an area that we can now leverage to come and inspire our students. Very so good. when again is the HAIS District Science Fair? So the HAIS District Science Fair is Saturday, February 18th at Hawaii Baptist Academy. And okay. that will lead up to the and HSSEF, <laughs> the State <laughs> Science Fair. When yes, is, do you and know that, that is? is May 14th through the 19th. Ah, some time away. Um, sorry. That is April 10th to 12th. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the state, the state Science Fair, April 10th to 12th, Convention Center, International Science Fair happens in May. Oh, I yes. Yes. Oh, got it. So wow, five, there's a lot of acronyms. Oh, yeah. Five from the state move on to the international. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we will put up on the show notes uh, maybe a contact place that people can go to if they're interested in becoming a, a volunteer. Yep. Um, I have a URL that you can visit to register. And if not, feel free to email me at brian at midpac.edu. Fantastic. We'll put that on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining us. And, of course, uh, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Representative Mark Nakashima and, of course, Robbie Melton, CEO of HTDC. We'll be talking about economic development and, of course, the 2017 tech policy. What technology will help build a more resilient economy? Of course, we'd love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation, so you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And, of course, if you're uh, on Twitter and you've got a tech policy question, you can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. An unfavorable comment or tweet from the president can do damage in corporate America. Tweet risk is really uh, a good word for it. These are the curveballs. No trader can afford to ignore them. I'm Kai Rizdal using tech to trade on what Trump tweets. That story, the rest of the day's business news, and the numbers from Wall Street as well next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. On February 4th, in the Atherton studio, it'll be love songs, laments, social commentary, and freewheeling fun from bluegrass fiddler, guitarist Lori Lewis, and mandolin player Tom Rosum. Join them for this special and spirited evening by reserving your seats at hprtickets.org or by calling 955-8821 during business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. 
Mahalo to contributors Hawaii Pacific University and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Brian Ozawa. And joining us today are Representative Mark Nakashima and Robbie Melton. Of course, uh, Representative Nakashima represents District 1, which is Hilo and, yeah, yeah. and Hamakua. We love Hilo. And of course, uh, Hamakua Hilo, he, he also chairs the Economic Development and Business community, uh, <laughs> Committee over at the House of Representatives. Robbie, meanwhile, is a regular guest here on Bite Mark Cafe. She's the chief executive of uh, ex- uh, Chief Executive and Executive Director of the High Tech Development Corporation, or HTDC. And, of course, what are Hawaii's top technology policy issues and, and initiatives? And, of course, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear you at 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Hey, thank you for having us on. Well, yeah, you know, we want to start Welcome. off by, of course, congratulating uh, you, Robbie, for getting, I think it was like a $2.5 million manufacturing grant from the U.S. Department of Commerce, right? That was just announced yesterday. <laughs> yes, we are so excited. It's a competitive bid. So we're very lucky. This is our second round of funding to get from NIST, and it actually supports the manufacturing companies in Hawaii, and we provide assistance to the companies, educational program, technical assistance, anything to help the manufacturers grow in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And this is a, um, a two, $2 million five over a five-year period, right? So ba- basically it breaks down to about 500000 yes. a year. Yeah, 500000 a year. And you have a whole department, right, that sort of focuses in on the manufacturing sector. Yeah, so that program is called Innovate Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And... Um, We have a team of five people. We have a person on Maui that works with the manufacturers there. So they go out and meet the companies at their offices and help do any kind of analysis. And they also manage the manufacturing assistance grant that we also have that provides up to 20% funding for companies that want to purchase equipment, train employees on equipment, or become more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, uh, manufacturing is not just limited to technology companies, right? This could be anything within the spectrum of of manufacturing. Yeah, manufacturing runs a whole gamut from food production, you know, to high engineering type of tech stuff. So it's a whole range of things and also from very small companies. So it can be as small as a $10,000 purchase up to something that's $500,000 or more. And so what sort of things fall under that umbrella? Are we talking about uh, Big Island Honey? Are we talking about knit caps that are pink with ears on them? What are we <laughs> well, about? actually, it's amazing you said that. So from Hawaii Island, we actually did do two grants to beekeepers because mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. are manufacturing the honey from the bees, and there's a process involved in that. And then we had another company that had to bring in some equipment from Italy that was like $500,000 for each piece of equipment. So very broad range of technologies. Well, that's great. That's a, you know, and, and testament to your organization. And you encompass quite a bit of uh, topics, I guess, just within HTDC. Yes, but tech is our focus. As you know, we are responsible for growing the tech industry here in Hawaii through a variety of programs. Mainly, you know, we have our incubator programs. We have other grant programs for companies that are doing 
research and development, and we do a lot of educational programs to support entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and tech. Great. And of course, uh, Mark Nakashima, I mean, this is the first time on Bite Marsh Cafe, but we wanted to, you know, welcome you and have, give you a chance to talk a little bit about your committee uh, for, uh, you know, the uh, economic development and kind of get a sense from you, from your perspective, what you see as being some of the top sort of tech policy initiatives. Okay, well, you know, thank you very much for having me. Um, this year is the first year that I will be uh, chairing the Economic Development Committee. So you know, it's a new portfolio for me. There's a lot of different challenges. I've been uh, learning a lot since uh, you know, I learned that I was going to be coming uh, to the committee. And um, with that, I think you know, I, I've had some opportunities um, to learn a lot about uh, the portfolio and all of the different things that come with it. So I've been spending a lot of time with Robbie oh, at good. HTDC. I've been learning a lot about the accelerator mm-hmm, programs mm-hmm. That, that we have going on. And uh, also, um, you know, recently I went with uh, a group from the university to uh, look at uh, c- cybersecurity uh, opportunities that we can bring to Hawaii. And so you know, one of the things that I'll be looking at this year is um, looking at trying to create a uh, group uh, in Hawaii that will be kind of concentrating and looking at the cybersecurity issues because uh, I think in that particular space, uh, you know, there is a need to uh, cor- help coordinate the uh, the people in the, in the field um, to share best practices, and also to start developing the workforce uh, to support uh, cybersecurity. Right now, what we were told as we went on to uh, see what other people are doing is that every time somebody hires a cybersecurity uh, professional, all they're doing is stealing from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we got to start growing our own, so to speak, and uh, uh, adding to the uh, industry as opposed to stealing from somebody else's. Well, there is definitely uh, programs that are uh, trying to build capacity around cybersecurity. I mean, you know, like we've been we've been talking to a lot of the schools that are involved with things like uh, Cyber Patriot, and you know, like uh, Honolulu Community College has their Zen Gen uh, um, uh, Cyber program. So they're yeah. you know they're getting students involved with uh, various kinds of uh, cybersecurity types of activities to get yeah. them interested and, you know, maybe follow a path toward that. Yes, and exactly. And, you know, so the, the people that are coordinating those uh, programs um, were part of the group that mm-hmm. uh, went on this trip to kind of do the exploration more. So, you know, part of it is, you know, I de- um, getting the interest in the community. And, you know, that that's definitely being done by things like the Cyber Patriot Program. Mm-hmm. But, you know, taking that then to the next level – and developing a uh, a pathway, so to speak, mm-hmm. to per, to become a professional in the field, um, to be you know to make sure that you have all of the knowledge that you need uh, to then go and do that work out in uh, businesses and to support the community and, and all of the different programs that are out there. I definitely want to talk more even about your the district you represent. My daughter is now a resident of Hilo, technically going to school there, and there have been some great tech initiatives there as well, and 
kind of work creating that workflow even from the 30 meter telescope and funding of educational opportunities in that respect but before we get there i did want to ask you robbie quickly you know governor Ige's state of the state covered many topics there are many priorities that the state has but he did include some technology initiatives in that um were there any that he mentioned that stood out anything that you wanted to call out uh, in terms of his priorities this session well he he focuses a lot of innovation so i see that, you know, he sees that as a driver to really help the economy. What I think is really important is the, his focus on education and his education initiatives, because if we can build a good, solid educational base in the public schools, that's going to feed into our tech industry and our tech economy, especially like with the cyber jobs and things like that. So I really appreciate his push to really uh, improve the school system and building that uh, innovation economy. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, um, <clears throat> Rep. Nakashima, I was thinking, when you are now embracing sort of this Economic Development Committee and, and you're trying to get a feel for all the different, perhaps, uh, initiatives and priorities and agendas that are out there, how do you bring that all together in your mind and, and sort of see which are the, let's say, the important ones or which ones that you feel you you need to, you know, provide your support toward? Okay, you know, well, I think it's a kind of difficult process, you know, as you, as you shift through all of these different opportunities and try to decide which one is going to really uh, pay out uh, for the state. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of it is, I think, um, getting to know the people that are involved in the in the different programs to hear what they have to say so you know uh being able to uh network and talk to all of these different peoples in the in the space to find out where they're going what kinds of ideas they have and then to make a decision based on that you know which ones you, you know you're going to um invest in and go forward on you know that's why i i uh uh, rely on uh, people like Robbie and those that are in in the field to you know help uh, help guide us in terms of which are the wh- which ones are following the correct recipes to you know to get to success mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know there are certain people that I've talked to that you know they've um, had success in other businesses they've you know they've done startups they're they're on their fifth one and so you know they have a track record in terms of knowing what to do to to make a go at it and so you know, you can you can rely on them to lead the way in in the field as well as provide mentorship to those that are looking at starting out and so those are th- I think the kinds of things that I'm looking for also um for my part, I, I've chaired the labor committee, so workforce development has been one of the issues that I've uh, been working on for a number of years now. And so I kind of changed gears a little mm-hmm. bit because instead of you know pushing from the back, I say I'm now trying to pull from the front, so to speak, mm-hmm. and uh, you know get the jobs on the creation side as opposed to trying to fill them on the back side. And so you know, as we're looking at uh, all of these opportunities, you know, for me, one of the key things is, you know, what kind of success are they going to have here in Hawaii? Are we going to be able to keep the businesses here? And how are, we, how are they going to be good employers for, for the people in Hawaii? Because at the end of the day, that is what's going to 
drive our economy, and that's what's going to make the industry successful. Robbie, and that sounds like a lot of the initiatives that you're following that you've been building and yes. supporting over there. Yes, exactly. I was just thinking of that. You know, with the SBIR program, the matching grant program, we've been able to help, you know, in the last year, seven new companies that are looking to hire almost 300 people in the next five years that are building high-wage jobs, you know, with technical expertise and um, also with the manufacturing grant. And there's also the R&D tax credit, which doesn't follow into us, but it also helps those companies that are doing hardcore research and development recoup some of their expenses that are going to be building a very strong economy in Hawaii. Now, Robbie, you brought up the uh, SBIR, and I think every time we have you come on, there is something in front of the ledge about SBIR. Is that something that always has to be presented for funding every, every let's say, biennium? Well, we're hoping at some point in time it will get into the budget. And once it gets into the budget, then we don't have to go back every year. I think the first time when we did the Phase 1 program, it was several years before it actually got into the budget and stayed. Mm -hmm. So now every year the program is at jeopardy. And so every year we have to go back and ask for the $2 million. So then everybody has to go out and testify, please, to, <laughs> to, to, to maintain the funding for that program because it's such a viable program for our companies here. So you have, you have the SBIR uh, bill, I think that's, that's uh, in, in front of the ledge. There's also something called the Research and Grant Technology Program. Are you familiar with, with that one? I just the bills just came out, so we haven't had a lot of time to really read through because we're trying to read forty and fifty bills a day. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you don't have time to really get into the meat of it. But I did see something about that. And and is that something that uh, is is part of a fund that goes to your program HTDC? And I think. You know, you developing some kind of a, it should. I guess the way it was written, it sounds like you're developing a program around this sort of research uh, granting. Well, it sounds like you know more about the bill <laughs> than I do. Like I said, we. I just have, having to read the. Yeah, the we have like forty bills a day that I'm reading right now, so I'm not in tune with exactly all the bills. And there are certainly a lot of bills that touch on technology. Bird, of course, is introducing one and tracking many, many others. Did you want to get into some specifics, Bird? Uh, about which one that uh, no, I no, brought up to, to discuss? Well, you know the um, <clears throat> the one that, of course, I had a part in terms of drafting was the code challenge, and of course, uh, Governor Ige did talk about the code challenge in his state of the state, and I thought there would be uh, an interesting uh, introduction to the legislature about what it takes to actually take uh, what we call the sort of proof of concept ideas that come out of the code challenge and actually nurture them to an actual prototype. And that's a program that I think would uh, be great for HTDC. So the the bill, uh, there's a couple of, um, if anybody's interested in numbers, uh, HB 1329, and that is the um, the code challenge bill. So there's two, there's actually two bills. There's a HB and a, <clears throat> and a Senate, Senate version. I thought the, the code challenge was awesome. It was a great way to showcase and demonstrate that if this government puts their ideas out there of the issues that they're having, people come together and solve them. But you're right. We need to be able to go beyond that and then move that into the government. The right vehicle to do that is still in question. I think if there were some money to help 
foster that development to get it so a company then could come in and bid Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. it and then take it further so that way we fall into the procurement process Mm -hmm. because we have as a state government we have to follow procurement as well so uh rep nakashima you're actually introducing that bill and I am um, I'm hopeful, I guess, that uh, it, it sort of goes through the path of the House. Were you able to talk to any of your, let's say, uh, fellow legislators about the code challenge? And well, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that you're able to participate in this coming mm-hmm. year's uh, code challenge. But, uh, you know, it's a very interesting process of bringing community in and actually having the community look at challenges that some of the departments might have. Yes, yeah, I think uh, it, it, the comment was made that uh, after the cold challenge, um, Governor Ige was speaking at a uh, conference, and I think people say that that was the most excited and enthusiastic they've ever heard the governor be <laughs> uh, talking about that uh, cold challenge. But you know, I think that one of the things, you know, I agree with Robbie, and one of the things that we are hoping that will come out of uh, the bill is that we have a better spirit of entrepreneurship uh, in the procurement process and that we're able to um, open it up a little bit more so that small businesses and entrepreneurs can participate more readily in providing services uh, to the state because right now it's probably pretty daunting to most people who you know, want to try and get into the procurement process. You know, I think you need to have a legal department of your own in order to kind of get through some of the red tape there. But you know, if we can find ways to uh, make it easier and to invite people into the process, I think you know, at the end it will be a better result for uh, the state mm-hmm. as well as the uh, citizens of Hawaii. Are, are you introducing something that sort of eases that that uh, that barrier, that obstacle? Um, yes, actually, uh, uh, myself and uh, Representative Johansson, and Representative Johansson is the chair of the Labor Committee. Uh, he succeeds me in the Labor Committee, but the Labor Committee now has the procurement code in its jurisdiction, mm-hmm. and so we're working together to try and see if we can't um, make some changes to the procurement code to uh, to open it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely, I think uh, making the t- taking steps forward from the last hack, the last code challenge, and seeing how we can make it work even better every year, giving it a solid foundation, and certainly making it so these solutions, like the one that uh, the governor mentioned, the visitation for mm-hmm. prisoners, uh, can have an actual path forward is very important. But let's see if we can get to some other specific bills. Um, I was kind of curious, uh, as a uh, father of, of students that are still going through the, oh, yeah, the school yeah. program, I was looking at uh, HB 1166, which talks about allowing computer science to replace either one math or one science class requirement. Now, we've had uh, people on talking mm-hmm. about uh, computational thinking and getting computer science into schools, but finding a way to make it uh, as important as other required core classes, I think, is an interesting approach. Robbie, it doesn't look like you're familiar with this particular <laughs> bill. Uh, how does that strike you, though, on the outset? So on the outset, as a math person, ah, um, I think swapping it for math or something else is not good because all students need math. I mean, you Well, and that's a, you know, this is an interesting point because bills that get introduced can come from a multitude of places. So it's not necessarily that these are uh the initiatives that you might be 
spearheading. And I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's important for computer science to be introduced in education, but whether or not there's there needs to be a law that says you can replace one for the other might not be the right place to do that. Right, exactly. I mean, so I've had discussions with other legislators about, you know, what things should be a bill and what things should be left to the private sector. But there are many things that HTDC monitors and actually testifies for because anything that impacts our industry long term is of vital importance to us. So mm-hmm. something like this would be. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I think to that point, whether it's private sector or even, you know, let's say Department of Education, that should be within the purview of, of DOE and teachers and whether or not as electives, you know, should any of these be more required than the other. And I think that's probably an education decision as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, a legislative decision. Yes. You know, we've actually uh, got a lot more questions and we are... More bills. And more bills to talk about. And and, um, so what we want to do is we want to kind of hold that thought. We'll be right back after the short break to continue our conversation with both Rep. Mark Nakashima and Robbie Melton about economic development and, of course, tech policy in the 2017 legislative session. Of course, if you have thoughts on prioritizing our policies at the government level, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, this is HPR board member Buffy Cushman-Pates. My favorite part of the weekend? Spending time with my family and the family of radio programs I've adopted. If you're also a big fan of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, This American Life, and The Moth Radio Hour, you'll want to hear this. After February 14th, these programs will air on HPR One, and we'll be introducing some new shows to the Saturday lineup. Learn more by signing up for HPR emails, and you can preview the new airtimes at hawaiipublicradio.org. On January 28th in the Atherton studio, it's an evening of music from the Rainbow Road and the North Shore, when violinist Nancy Shupwu and classical slack-key guitarist Ian O'Sullivan perform music from their recent CDs. More at hprtickets.org or call 955-8821 during business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership Wealth Management. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Representative Mark Nakashima and Robbie Melton about 2017's tech initiatives. And, of course, if you have any questions about those tech initiatives, you can call us, call us at 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Now, there is a bill, Robbie. I'm going to prep you. Uh, it's actually a Senate bill. So, you know, Rep. Nakashima is off the hook for this one. But I do want to ask you, Robbie, where did SB 759 come from, which says it wants to transfer all powers, duties, and obligations held by the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation over to the High Tech Development Corporation? Well, I don't know where it came from. (laughs) (laughs) A a friend of yours? As as you know, many bills get introduced, you know, that we're not aware of until they're introduced. 
Well, and of course, uh, for people that are interested in what are these uh, different corporations, of course, Robbie he- heads up High Tech Development Corporation and the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation is Carl Fuchs, and they basically have monies that are invested in venture funds, correct? So, yeah, so so there's the difference. So, um, so the High Tech Development Corporation, our mission is really to work with companies and the industry and the community to really grow and foster it to get it to be a robust piece of our economy. The Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation was really created for the investment opportunities to help companies. So they deal directly with investors. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're company-focused, they're investor-focused. But our mission should all be the same, which is to grow the tech economy ultimately. But it sounds like there's a pretty good reason why there are different agencies that handle these things. Right, so because they need a separate board to really oversee the investment arm of, of what they do, and we have our own separate board. But in to, terms of labeling, it does sound like there is a, there is a change that the HTDC is looking to make. Some labeling? Uh, that, oh, so our name change? Yes. Now, I know when the first year that you came to Hawaii that uh, you and took over HTDC, the first thing that you wanted to do was change mm-hmm. HI to Hawaii. Yeah, so high, high Tech is a name from, you know, the 70s or 80s. <laughs> and so it's now just called technology. There's no high involved in it. And besides, we're a statewide organization, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. why shouldn't we be called Hawaii Technology Development Corporation? And besides, everybody calls us the Hawaii Technology Development Corporation anyway. So we would just like to legally change our name to the Hawaii Technology Development Corporation. I would support that, Bill. Now, um, Mark, before the break, we were talking about sort of swapping out requirements. You had some thoughts, though, in terms of bringing computer science into school. Uh, yeah, yes. And, you know, having been a teacher, I know that, you know, trying to change the requirements at the Department of Education is, you know, requires some major act uh, of somebody else other than the legislature. But, um, you know, I think that uh, having gone to see different uh, school systems and you actually see uh, elementary kids coding in their environment, I think that you know, creating the opportunity for students to have the coding experience is important, and it will help to ensure that our students do not get left behind mm-hmm. either. So I think that um, while maybe math, changing out math is not the right way to go, you know, providing the opportunity is important. You know, there's a, there's a number of different programs inside the schools that are promoting the idea of of coding. And uh, last year, we were covering a story that uh, some of the uh, schools were adopting the hour of code, mm. and they were getting teachers to start to get their kids sort of familiar with, uh, you know, coding and, and building the interests in, in um, using, uh, you know, various kinds of uh, tools and techniques to to get them to think about how to, you know, sort of logically uh, put things together. So that's that's kind of an interesting um, movement, I think, that's taking place. Yes, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it it is important to kind of move that. You know, I think teaching the teachers is kind of key in in getting um, this into the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times, you know, the... The, the students are already ahead of the teachers, so it's a difficult thing to stay ahead of the kids because they're just 
born with this um, these devices in their hands already, mm-hmm, whereas mm-hmm. you know some of us still remember the manual typewriter that we used. So you know we have to catch up a little bit. But you know, given these tools and these opportunities, I think you know the, the kids will really flourish and and move ahead very quickly. And uh, in order to ensure that we don't get left behind, I think it's important that we make this available uh, th- throughout the state. And you, know, for myself, you know, one of, the, one of the other issues that I have to face is that you know there's not broadband connectivity throughout the throughout the yeah. State. I was going to ask you about broadband and, and some of the things that you you start to see from your perspective on some of the initiatives that are are uh, you know before you on mm-hmm. broadband. Yeah, you know, um, there there are some things that are uh, that are before us. Uh, prior to uh, taking this position, you know, I do come from a large rural district. You know, my district's the size of Oahu Island mm-hmm. uh, with the population of Manoa. <laughs> so, uh, you know, people are very spread out, and um, there, are, there are pockets where they do not have any broadband uh, capabilities whatsoever, or they're still on dial-up. And so, you know, trying to uh, push push the network out, so to speak, is, mm-hmm. is very important because, again, you know, like those that don't have the training, those that don't have uh, the connectivity also are, are getting left behind. Absolutely. In fact, when we were talking about power outages and, and you know, having energy uh, on Hawaii News Now this morning, a lot of people now, electricity and Internet connectivity are both equally important utilities in their lives. It's not a, it's not a luxury anymore. Yes, uh, uh, exactly. And, you know, for myself, uh, I, I experienced it first time because I've just moved from town to a few miles out of town. And so I've I've lost my uh, my uh, connection, and sometimes I don't even get uh, connectivity on my phone. So right. you know I I'm kind of back in the stone age, <laughs> kind of out of touch every now and then. You know. Yeah, there are very frequently people who say, "What would, would you give up? Your power, your water, or your?" Internet, and I think it's an increasingly difficult choice for many people. Now, Robbie, when we talked about workforce development, one of the things that you've been talking quite a bit about in the last year is the 8080. It's the initiative to make sure that there are high paying uh, knowledge industry jobs for people here in Hawaii. Are there legislative moves in support of an initiative like that? Yes, there are many initiatives out this year, um, some with STEM education. Um, there's a move towards that. Um, I can't remember some, but I know that there are about four or five bills that would actually impact the 8080. If we do a change in the R&D tax credit, I think that's going to help us move um, forward with the 8080. So there are lots of different initiatives. It's not just one or another, but there's many that have to come together to make that really a focal point. Do you have a sense as to where some of these bills were introduced that impact sort of this eight, the 8080 plan? It's a, it's a variety. They're, all of them are economic development bills that I've seen. Mm-hmm. So there's different people introducing them. You know, a lot of times um, different organizations have their legislator introduce the bill, things like that. So lots of different places. Now, do um, either one of you, Mark or Robbie, I mean, in, in terms of UH and their innovation commercialization uh, initiative plan, do you have a sense as to 
you know, is that a is that a UH initiative? Is that how does how do you I guess from your vantage point, whether from a legislative vantage point or from HTDC, where do you see that playing into this? So it's critical. I have to say, you know, as a state agency, people say, well, you're supposed to do this. The university is supposed to do that. No, we do it all together. And so the the university does incredible research and development, which spurs innovation. Mm-hmm. So if the university was not doing R&D, we would not have a tech community at all in Hawaii. So what they're doing is very important. You know, there's the Accelerate UH program there that's really helping faculty members and students get companies started. It would be great if we could open that up a little bit more so that it would be a broader program. So I'm in support of the faculty members having the ability to start companies or engage in private sector work. Isn't that something that they already sort of do with the um, the Office of Technology uh, t- Transfer and Economic Development, OTED? They do some of that, but I think it's right now it's limited because of the Ethics um, Commission right now. I know there's a bill in to change the ethics um, committee there, to to change the policies there. Mm -hmm. Once that happens, that will open up so it would be freer. Mm -hmm. Because other states, all the other states do it. So why cannot our faculty members in Hawaii do it? Mm -hmm. Everywhere else they're doing it, and it's helping the university. It's helping to create economic development around the university. It's helping to bring money into the university. Now, uh, Mark, and Representative Nakashima, I know that you are keeping your hands and your eyes on so many bills. You brought a lot of homework with you. Is, <laughs> is there a specific bill that you'd like to call attention to that we should know more about? No, well, yeah, I think on that uh, innovation initiative, you, it is, uh, we do have a House Bill 166 that is uh, looking at uh, trying to create and promote that economic enterprise uh, by allowing the uh, professors to kind of um, take their invention and discoveries and you know, to uh, uh, move forward with mm. those into into businesses and you know as we uh, as we talk to different uh, universities um, there are many ideas that uh, they have in how we might take these inventions that are and research that's done in the universities and to uh, monetize them and to make them more available. So some of the ideas that uh, had come up was, um, you know, once UH has a patent on something, maybe make it uh, available to anyone for three years Mm. um, just to let them test it out, work with it, uh, experiment with it, and then see if they come up with a uh, platform or something that they can use that uh, invention for and mm-hmm. then uh, go in and start working out the licensing agreement. So you know, those kinds of things, I think those type of uh, different ways of, of doing things are things that we can look at to try and encourage the um, university and the professors to continue the research and to share uh, this research. So so basically kind of lowering the obstacle or the the barrier to leveraging some of the the intellectual property that comes out of the the university? Uh yeah, definitely. And also, you know, another idea is um 
providing a, maybe a fund which uh, business can, businesses can access to see if they themselves, if they wanted to have research right, done right. in a specific way, to have a fund that they can then use to engage a researcher or a consultant at the university to help them uh, resolve some of their issues and problems. Mm-hmm. And certainly the commercialization of uh, IP at UH and the university is something we've talked many times on the show. We had Dr. Adrian Yanagihara on, mm-hmm. and she talked about her experience commercializing her anti-sting um, uh, medication or uh, uh, treatment. Yeah. So very interesting stuff. Now, Robbie, you too at the HDC have to keep track of a number of different bills relating to technology in the current legislative session. Is there a place for someone listening who says, I, you know, because we're talking about, we haven't even touched on dozens of bills. Is there a way that they can stay uh, abreast of all of these things with the HTDC's help? Yes. Yeah, so every year, HTDC keeps a list of all the bills related to tech on, a, on our homepage. They can get there. They can see all the different bills. They can sign up for legislative updates. So anytime there's either a new bill introduced or a change in a bill or there's a hearing posted, we send out a notice so that people can write testimony or come down to the Capitol. So if you consider yourself an engaged geek, you would go to hdc.org and sign up for legislative updates. updates. Yes. And uh, Rep Nakashima, I mean, how would you like to see the community get involved with uh, expressing their interest in any of these initiatives? You know, I think that um, you know, as, as we move forward, the uh, committee will be hearing a number of these bills and uh, with each bill, we do try to provide uh, f- more than 48 hours notice uh, for those um, for those bills that we are going to hear, and you know, the uh, community and the uh, public can definitely um, log on to the Capitol website mm-hmm. and uh, submit testimony uh, to the different bills. They can also sign up to receive uh, the hearing notices of the different committees. And uh, they're welcome to do that, and we look forward to hearing from them. Very good. Fantastic. Very good. Of course, uh, Mark Nakashima is the chair of the Economic Development and Business Committee over at the House. And, of course, Robbie Melton heads up HTDC, the Hawaii Technology Development Corporation. Soon to be. Yes. We want to thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we're going to talk about the current state of supercomputing in Hawaii. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find a podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And, of course, as you may have heard, Hawaii Public Radio is preparing to unveil some... Great new changes coming up on Valentine's Day, February 14th. Hawaii Public Radio will be able to de- uh, de- deliver more <laughs> of what you love. For starters, of course, Bite Marks Cafe will be joining its fellow news and talk shows over at HPR One. And on HPR One, we'll have a new time following Marketplace at 6.30. It'll be a compressed, compact, high-potency version of Bite Marks Cafe at half an hour. You can find out there will also be a rebroadcast over the weekend. You can find all the details, the new times, by looking for the red box at hawaiipublicradio.org. And of course, lots of excitement in 2017. And of course, we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. This you were here.